because today we're going to talk about the attitude of gratitude. Victor Frankl, in that classic book, Man's Search for Meaning, describes how you and I do not have control over what will happen to us. We have very little control over events. But we have total control over the attitude we have toward those events. We can choose to have, with the help and leadership of God, the attitude of gratitude. And so today I want to talk with you for a few moments about gratitude, its power, its potential in your life and in mine. I want to look to the scripture and we see a drama in three acts. Three acts. You read about it in the 17th chapter of the gospel according to Luke, beginning with verse 12. Listen to this dramatic event. And he, Jesus, entered a certain village. Ten leprous men stood at a distance, met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about, as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face, feet at Jesus' face, feet, saying, Thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are the nine? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, listen, significant words, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Thought he was already well. What was the difference? Let's look and see. Act 1 see the crying crowd and the caring Christ. The crying crowd and the caring Christ. The crying crowd, it's all of us. Leprosy was a symptom and symbol in Jesus' day of sin. Unfortunately, they felt that any sort of skin disorder was leprosy. So a lot of people were supposed uh, by the group to have leprosy when in reality they just may have had a skin rash, but not having the medical expertise in that day, which we have in our day, anyone with any kind of skin disorder was looked upon as being a leper. And there was nothing worse than being a leper. They were ostracized. They were not allowed to stay in the community. They were, they were forced out into the wilderness. They lived separate from everyone else. They were outcasts. They could not come within the city limits of a crowd, of a city. And when they walked along, they had to cover their mouth with their hand like this, and they had to cry aloud, unclean, 
unclean, unclean, so that anyone in the vicinity could hear and see that they were lepers and avoid them. Unclean, unclean. You notice it says they stood at a distance from Jesus and they cried out, Lord, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Here we have in microcosm a picture of the world crying out for help. I was in the hospital visiting this past week and I was walking along out of the medical complex and I'd been visiting some folks who were very, very sick and had been stopped by some other people who are not members of our uh, congregation uh, but who watched television and seen me on television and invited me into the room, which happens often. And I went in and met the loved one they were concerned about and had prayer together and walk out into the hall. And down the hall, a family was standing there just weeping, holding on to each other, obviously some sad, tragic news. And the whole thing just kind of overwhelmed me. I looked out on that hospital complex out there and how grateful we are for it. And, th and I thought this scene in this hospital corridor and in this little part of the world is being duplicated in hospitals all over this city and all over this state and all over the world, a crying world, crying out for light and for mercy and for forgiveness. We're all in that crowd, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We may not all have the same malady. We may not all have sinned in the same way, but all alike have sinned. And our cry may be one of physical need, economic, relational, spiritual, whatever it is. We're all in the crying crowd, crying out for help. In Islam, there is a Muslim sect a very mystical group known as the Sufis, S-U-F-I. And there's an old story that comes out of that mystical tradition of a man who was down on his hands and knees beneath a lamppost, a light, in the midst of a dark night. And he was down on his knees underneath that lamppost, scratching through the dirt. And the man came up and said, what are you looking for? He said, I lost something important to me and I can't find it. And the man said, well, I will, I will help you. Where did you drop it? He said, well, I dropped it way over there. He said, well, why are you looking for it here? He said, because there's no light over there. We smile at that. But how typical that is of us, we're looking for solutions in all the wrong places. We come to what we think is the light and start scratching around in the dirt, the light of education, the light of enlightenment, the light of scientific accomplishment, the light of financial improvement. We begin looking at all of these things that society has produced for us and keep thinking, somewhere in here I'm willing to find what I lost, but I lost it over there in the darkness. How do we find it in the darkness? How can we find it in the darkness? We cannot find it in the darkness without the help of light. Where will the light come from? The light comes from God. We do not solve our problems by bringing them to the light. 
God initiates solving our problems by being, bringing the light to our problems. The first chapter and the first verse of Genesis tells us this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and there was darkness over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. Light in your darkness brought there by God. And in the prologue to John's gospel, the first verses of the gospel of John, listen to these words echoing Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Get this. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus has come to bring light into our darkness. We God is not responsive to our acts. We are responsive to God's act. Let there be light. And he brings light into our darkness, and we find ourselves in that encounter. Look at the New Testament. Look, look at the people coming out of darkness to him. Bartimaeus, a blind man, seated outside the city of Jericho, living in a dark night, a perennial night of darkness and he heard Jesus coming by and he cried out son of David have mercy on me and what did Jesus say bring him to me bring the darkness to the light and Bartimaeus groped his way to Jesus in his darkness and Jesus said what do you want me to do for you and he said, that I might see. And he said, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. And he opened his eyes to see the light, the light of the world. Nicodemus, brilliant man, educated, refined, respectable, religious. He came to Jesus. When did he come to him? At night. He came in his own darkness. And he brought his darkness to the light. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to come out of the womb of time, which is dark, into the light to be born anew and to see the light of the everlasting day, which is Jesus Christ. Light for our darkness and in our darkness. Notice the caring Christ. The caring Christ. He healed all of them. All ten of them. Making a difference who you are. And what the source of leprosy may be in your spiritual life. He heals you. And he says to those ten... Go show yourselves to the priests. Why did he say that? Well, because the priests were the equivalent in their day of the public health officers. They went to the priests, and the priests looked at them and saw that all of the leprosy was gone. They would say, okay, you can be restored to life. You can come back to your family. You can come back to your friends. 
you could come back into relationship with other people. So he sent them to the public health officers so they could be verified as being healed so they could go back to their families. But I want you to notice this. And it came about as they were going, they were cleansed. As they were going, they were cleansed. Remember this. Faith is not a noun. It's a verb. It's a step. It's a move. It's an act. God is not a noun. God is a verb. God is perennial action, initiating light and initiating grace. God does not respond to our works. We respond to the work of God, the work of grace, the gift of light. They were cleansed as they went, as they acted upon the word of God. You and I are cleansed and forgiven when we act upon the Word of God when we do it, take a step, make the move in faith. All ten were healed as they went. And as they went, they began to look at each other and say, man, look, your skin's different. And he looked down, hey, look, we're different. And they ran toward the priest. One saw himself and he turned around and ran back to Jesus. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet to thank him for what Jesus had done for him. And Jesus answered him and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Here we have scene two. The uncaring crowd and the crying Christ. The uncaring crowd. Why didn't they come back? I don't know. I guess we could all surmise our evaluation of why they didn't come back to thank him. I suppose if you got it down to its root cause, you would probably have to say selfishness. They'd gotten what they thought they wanted, so they forgot the source and went their own way to do their own thing. I cannot imagine why other than I've got what I want. I deserve it. I've earned it. I've got mine. You get yours. See ya. I don't know any other reason for the uncaring crowd. And then I look at the crying Christ. Have you ever read the New Testament with the idea of looking for the emotions of Jesus that are displayed in the New Testament. All the emotions that Jesus demonstrated. Here I get the note of deep sadness. Sadness. Where are the nine? Now please hear me. I do not believe 
that Jesus was capable of self-pity. I do not think he was upset because they didn't come back for his sake. But, well, I've been insulted. I gave this to them and they didn't even say thank you. He was not sad because of what they did to him. He was sad because of what they had done to themselves. They had been cleansed. But notice the words. This man gave glory to God. Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There's a, there's a cleansing that comes in our lives when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and we accept him and we act upon his word. But until we say, thank you, we're not whole. We're not well. Jesus was concerned because they missed the extra gift that he had to give to them. And they missed it because of ingratitude. As Shakespeare said in King Lear, how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Here's God in Christ looking for the nine and saying, how sharper than a crown of thorns it is to have thankless children. Where are the nine? Now, I know in all probability in this room today, I'm not talking to some of the nine, maybe one or two, but your very presence here today is a, an indication of your gratitude to God and your thanks to God for what he has done for you. But I want us to see Act 3 right now. And Act 3, us, you and I, our attitude, our response to the gift of God. I think about Simon Peter, who had faith. He was a disciple of the Lord, one of the early followers, as you know. And he had faith enough when the storm was raging on the sea and Jesus came walking on the water. Simon Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat. And he had enough faith to walk on the water. And he got out there, and his attention got diverted from Jesus. He began to look at the waves, and he began to go under. And he cried out, Jesus, save me, or I perish. And Jesus reached out, took his hand, and kept him from sinking beneath the dark waves of the sea. In these 36 years, it's been my privilege to be your pastor. I've seen people trust the Lord, seen them accept Christ, seen them walk on the waters of adversity by faith. And then I've seen some 
their attention gets diverted. And they begin to look at the waves. They get interested in other things. And I've seen them begin to sink. And I have seen some. And I hear Jesus standing saying, I saved you. I have forgiven you. I have given you eternal life. You're going to heaven when you die. Why didn't you come back and give thanks so that you could have heaven while you live? Where are the nine? so this morning I want us to do something we've never done before in this invitation and I'd like no one to move in these next few moments for it is early and I want to read you some words from the 10th chapter of the book of Romans this word that we have been proclaiming here the word of God Paul says is near you in your mouth and in your heart and this is the word of faith which we are preaching that's what we're trying to preach the word of faith and here it is that if you confess with your mouth m-o-u-t-h if you confess with your mouth not just in your heart and in your head and in your emotions you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The nine were cleansed, no longer lepers, one was made whole, well, because he said, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy salvation so full and free. He said it with his mouth. I want to give you and myself the opportunity to do that this morning. Maybe you don't consider yourself one of the nine. I do not. But still, I want to say it with my mouth. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy salvation so full and free. I want to give you the opportunity to do the same thing. A dozen of you, maybe a hundred or more, maybe more than that. Many came in the early service. I'm going to ask the members of our staff to come stand at the end of each one of these aisles. And I want them to be a symbol, for that's all we are. What I want you to say to Christ 
to say to somebody, thank you. I thank Jesus for what he's done for me. I thank him. You may say it to Ron, John Park. I'll be here too, but I want the staff to come now. Mark, Pat, each one of them will stand here. Johnny White will stand at the end of each house. Now, many of you may want to come and do as many did. You may want to come just here to these steps and kneel privately in your heart to talk with the Lord, to say it to somebody. I thank Jesus for saving my soul. Johnny, come on over here. Mark is here. Ron is here. We're going to sing that little chorus. And we'll sing other things as Tommy leads us. But one move. If you feel in your heart that thanking the Lord means that you want to be a part of this church, come to do so this morning. In the early service, an entire family, mother, father, and daughter, all three came accepting Christ as Savior. Others came to join this church. That was the way they thanked the Lord. Maybe that's the way you want to thank Him today. And so just stand quietly. Let's sing together. And with your mouth, come forward and thank Jesus for what He's done. Hey.